0: Last week, we, uh, we looked at the role of an office of elder and I shared that as I got into it, I started realizing that I was reading about things that I wasn't used to, thinking as far as an elder and, and what is the primary role of an elder. And so I actually had plans for today that were different than what we're going to do. After last week, I got to thinking, well, we need to give that same kind of treatment to deacons. What is it that deacons do? What is a deacon? And and as I think about what is it that deacons do, there's a lot of different churches with lots of different ways that deacons serve. A lot of churches, especially Baptist churches, smaller ones where a new pastor comes in every few years, the deacons are in essence the elders of the church. They're the ones that decide what happens and how things happen. I knew my first church when uh, we decided to put out a a, a little... um, Newsletter every month just to try to keep connections with the church body. The first deacons meeting I had after that, one of them held it up and said, You never asked permission. That was a fun meeting. Let's just say these meetings happened an hour before the evening worship service, and the evening worship service did not happen that night before we got out of that meeting. And when we did, Everybody was kind of standing around like, what happened with the deacons? And I said, we're done for the evening, everybody go home. (laughs) Because they had sung all the songs, and I wasn't in a fit state to preach. But those deacons, they had learned uh, through practice that their responsibility was to protect the church from the pastor. That was their responsibility. They might not have put it in those terms, but that was their responsibility. If you ever spend any time with Ed Hudson and hear him talk about his deacon training, his experience is completely different from when he was down in First Baptist Eddy, where he, he was taught that as a deacon, his job was to support the pastor. And so he did hospital visitations, and he did shut in visitations, and he did the tape ministry. He did those things. Now, in my first church, we had a tape ministry. Guess who got to do it? Every week. But at First Baptist Eddie, that's what Ed did. That's a good picture of what a deacon is. He takes on some of the roles that maybe that pastor would be doing that they don't need to be doing. I think it's probably better, instead of asking what do deacons do, maybe that we would say, what should they do? Because there are so many different ways that deacons serve. And even, again, what is this thing that we call a deacon? Where, what do we... Where do we get this idea? We see in uh, Scripture that the deacon is an office. It, it, it became, at some point, a role within the church. We see in uh, Philippians 1.1 that Paul writes a letter to the Philippians, and he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So we see that in this letter to Philippi, uh, he equated overseers and deacons as two offices that are specifically called out and special. I think it's interesting as we sit here and look at this that that bondservants is a Greek word doulos, which means slave. A bondservant is somebody who serves somebody else and they are bonded to them. They do not have the freedom to leave. Paul calls himself often the slave or the bondservant of Christ. We we shudder from that language of being a slave because of our history here in America. In Paul's time, slavery was part of life everywhere. It wasn't separated on racial structures like we had experienced in our recent history. Just about anybody could become a slave. All you had to do was be in a losing army and you became a slave. You could become a person who could not pay your debts. You became a slave. Slavery was a part of life. And In fact, sometimes slaves were so well off, they were better being a slave than free. And they would say, I don't want to be set free. Keep me as your slave for the rest of my life. And in Scripture, they would Put their ear against the door of the household and a nail would be driven through. I was kind of saying, You're stuck to this house now. But they did that voluntarily. So, our understanding of what Paul's talking about is not uh, best illustrated from our history here in America and in recent years. But Paul viewed himself as a slave to Jesus, a bondservant. He could not be set free, he could not escape. He belongs to Jesus. And I would hope that all of us have an idea of that in our lives, not just Paul, but that we are his slaves, his bondservants. But the word deacon, it comes from a different word. It's diakonos, which means literally to to thoroughly kick up dust or through dust to do something, to, to make a lot of dust. And it's the word that's used here in deacons. It's the word that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, when, when Paul, again, he has spent seven verses talking about overseers. He moves on to talk about deacons. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, and, you know, unrighteous gain. Similar ideas as the overseer, but here it's deacon. It's that same word. Uh, diakonos which means servant or sometimes it's even uh, <clears throat> well I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself uh, this word deacon that we use as a title it's used often in scripture and it just says servant and, and so the the first thing to remember is just like an overseer oversees and it's interesting we don't you know some people do overseer the word is uh, presbutos, and so they get Presbyterians and Presbytery. Here, an over, uh, a deacon, the word deacon means servant. And, and so in their language, they wouldn't have been talking about deacons. They would have been talking about servants. It was the same word. But they understood that when we're talking about these servants, we're talking about a different kind of servant than your normal household Servant. This word, diakonos, is the word for serving at table. Not to be a bond slave. Not somebody who is owned, but somebody who is hired. Somebody who is entrusted and employed. Who serves at table. That's what a deacon is. The word that we translate as deacon, and, and so what we're really doing is we're just uh, trans, what they call transliterating. You know, because deacon, you don't translate that into the word. That's not a word elsewhere. It's, it's an English form of diakonos. It's just twisted until we got to deacon. This is a word, though, that in Colossians one twenty five, Paul writes, of this church, I was made a minister. Literally, I was made a diaconus, a servant, a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. So Paul even talks about himself as being a deacon, a servant, a minister. And some churches have, you know, you have the pastor, but then you have a bunch of other people who have responsibilities, like you have the youth minister, and you have the minister of education, and you have the children's minister. This is where they get that idea. Now, in those churches, they don't view those people as deacons they view them as ministers as under pastors you might say but the idea throughout scripture is that and jesus even shows us this um in matthew chapter 20 verse 27 jesus is talking to the disciples about how the the, the people run things and how the uh, the the gentiles behave and he says to them whoever wishes to be first among you Shall be your slave, doulos, the same word that Paul uses of himself in regards to Jesus. And then, in verse twenty-eight, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. When He talks about how the Son of Man came to serve, He's using that word, diakonos. I came to serve. In in John chapter 13, he doesn't use the word servant. He doesn't use the word serve, but the picture is the same. He says to the disciples, do you know what I've done to you? After he's washed their feet. He says, I'm your teacher and I am here as one who is great. But if I, who am greater than you, have washed your feet. This is how you're supposed to treat one another. This is how, how you're supposed to interact with one another. That we are supposed to be servants to each other. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 20, if you want to, whoever wishes to be first shall be your slave. That, that if we want to be first among us, the, the people, it's, it's not going to be by being on top and telling everybody else what to do. It's about being on the bottom and not just a servant, but to be a bond slave, a bond servant to everybody. What we see throughout Scripture is that all Christians are called to be servants. All of us are called to serve. There there isn't the concept in Scripture of following Jesus and not serving. As Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. So, So it's interesting that here you have an office of servants when truly the whole church should be servants. It it should be natural for us to be questioning and asking, where am I serving? How am I serving? Where should I be serving? And how should I be serving? And how has God gifted me to serve? These are all natural questions that every believer should be asking regularly in life. One of the, the great things I've seen is uh, we we have some family friends who uh, who have blessed us. They're not our family friends. They're you know family of friends you might say. But but they're they're the parents of some fr- of a friend of ours, and and they've blessed us and and provided for us through the years to get away and do things. And, and in one of the times we were visiting with them, we were having a, a conversation, and the husband was explaining how he had done this one ministry for a year, but didn't really find that it was working, he didn't feel like it was the right fit, and so he was doing another ministry this year, and he had been doing a ministry for several years, but then the church wound that down. And I I love the attitude of, well, I'm going to give it a year, and I'm going to try, and I'm going to see what happens. And it's not just a, you're stuck in this until you die, or you leave this church type thing, which sometimes can happen. You, you, You start serving an area, and now doesn't matter if you're good or not. doesn't matter if it's the right fit or not. You're stuck. Nobody will take it back from you. Sometimes ministry and church can be kind of like a hot potato. And as soon as they've given it to you, their hands are, you know, <laughs> I'm not taking it back. And then you're left sitting there holding it. All Christians are called to be servants. And, and, and this believer, he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking. I'm constantly evaluating, am I serving God the right way today like I should be? Is this ministry that I've signed up for the right one? Now, he didn't just cut and bail on them if he didn't feel like it was right. He'd finish out his agreement. But that was a common question in his mind. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And that's a question that we should all be asking. Everybody should be looking for where and how they can serve that's just and as we change as we grow older sometimes maybe what we used to do doesn't work anymore maybe that's not the right fit anymore and we grow into it sometimes something that we said we'd never do and we weren't open to after a while the holy spirit puts his his influence on you and he starts bugging you about it to where you can't ignore him and then you're like i guess i'll step up and do this that's a natural part of our lives So, if it's natural for all Christians to be servants, how do we have this office of servants? How do we have an office where we have said there are certain people that somehow are super special servants, when everybody else is already called to be a servant? And even Paul, as an apostle, views himself as a servant. And I, as a pastor, would say I I can see that in myself, that I, hopefully, Lord willing, am here to serve, not to be served. So, what do we mean by this special thing of deacons then that became an office that we see in Philippians and uh, in Romans and in, in 1 Timothy? The first instance that we see of deacons being formed, and the word deacon isn't even used, is in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The church had been experiencing growth, they had a lot of people from out of the country, you know, outside of Jerusalem and Judea, who, who had been there at Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit came upon people, uh, they witnessed it. And then Peter preached. And remember, over 2,000 came to faith. And they didn't leave. They didn't go home yet. They were staying there in Jerusalem as a body together, growing in the, under the guidance and the leadership of the, of the apostles to the point where people started selling property and selling whatever they had and handing it over to the apostles so that they could pay for other people to be able to eat. This is the first time we see some um, discipline in the church when a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sell some property and they lie about how much it costs. But this is the situation that's going on. This is is where the church is. And as we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 6 in the book of Acts, we're told that at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Jews. Hellenistic is Greek. So you had people of what was called the Diaspora, the dispersion. These were Jewish people who had been dispersed either first by going to Babylon and never coming back, or through just normal course of events. They had gone to other cities to live. They'd been dispersed by the Greeks and by the Romans. And they had grown up with that heritage. Where they're Jews, but they might have Greek names, and they all spoke Greek. They might not even speak Hebrew anymore. And yet they would go back to Jerusalem when they could to, to celebrate the feast. And they were there at the feast And here they have Hellenistic Jews who have a complaint against the native Hebrews, those who live in Judea and Jerusalem. Because the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So so their growth and the popularity of the church was doing good things, but it was also creating problems as they got bigger people started falling through the cracks. Some of the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the food serving by the Hebrew, uh, the native Hebrews. And so they were complaining about this. And so in verse 2, the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And that's the only place where anything close to diakonos shows up is serve. the, The verb form of diakonos. And what the disciples are saying is the apostles, they say, look, it's not a good idea. It's not what we desire to do. It's not what God desires to do, that, that we should neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. They're not saying that the work is wrong or bad. They're not saying that it's beneath them. What they are saying is, is that they could easily get distracted by focusing on the tables to the detriment of their primary mission, which is the word of God, serving by teaching and guiding. But they recognize that it's an important thing. They just see that they could become distracted by it. So in verse 3, therefore, they say, Brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. So they they say to the, the, the Hellenistic Jews, select for, from among you people who uh, have good reputation, they're full of the Holy Spirit, they've got wisdom, and they are the type of people that we can put in charge of this task. First Timothy 3 talks about testing and making sure that people are of a certain quality and character. Same thing here. And, and then they say about themselves in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry, the service of the Word. The ministry of the Word. So what the disciples decide on is, is look, it's not right for us to stop doing our job to focus on this. This is important, but it could become a distraction. Instead, let us focus on doing the Word of God, the the ministry of the Word, and prayer, and select seven men that we can entrust with this job. It reminds me of a a story when I was in seminary. One of my professors, he had a lot of stories about guys that had graduated and gone on to their first pastorates and the different experiences they faced. One of them, when he was hired at a church, they told him among his many pastorally duties was going to be mowing the church's yard. And he didn't feel like that was the appropriate time to say anything about it, so he mowed the church yard for about a year. And after a year, after they got to know him, as he was in a meeting with the, the church leadership, he said, look, do you really think this is the good use of my time? Do you think it's really, are you, you know, And it was think of how long it takes me to mow the yard and think about how much you pay me per hour. You could hire a kid, a teenager, to mow the churchyard for less and I wouldn't be using that time mowing the yard. I could be using that time doing other things more in keeping with pastoral ministry. And so the church, now that they had trusted him and gotten to know him, they agreed to his suggestion. But, but there are a lot of things that are like that. Is this really what I need to be doing at this time? I, I had that question this morning. There was a, a light that was flickering up here and I went and got the stick thing to get the light out and I couldn't get it out. And I thought about leaving it in there. But you see where that empty socket is? I, I couldn't stand the thought that maybe that light might fall. So I got our ladder out. So if nothing else, I could at least get that light out of there. And I found out what was wrong with that can light socket and all that. But in the midst of all that, I'm sitting there thinking, is this really what I should be doing at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? You know, I don't mind serving I like serving, and I like making sure that we're not going to have a a surprise by falling bombs in the sanctuary, you know. Let let the bombs that happen be only my preaching, not the lights falling down. But is that really the best use of my time on a Sunday morning? You know, if if I get focused on all this running around type stuff, I can be in no fit shape to preach sometimes. And that's what, the, that's what the apostles were getting at. That Not that this wasn't an important work. It needed to be done. It's just something that they felt would distract them from their primary work. And what we see is that servants, deacons, their selection, their, their calling is to help out and do what I would call administration and administrative tasks that deacons serve in areas of administration. And this isn't a perfect thing because I've tried, I tried so many different words and this is just the one I've gone with, okay? But we see them working in areas of, of, of tangible service in the church, of things that need to be done but that need a higher trust. I, I would say, for instance, we're not, you, know, you don't need to do a background check on whether or not a person can open up a door or take out the trash. Hopefully you don't need to do a background check for that. But maybe we need to know a little bit about a person and see how they have operated and how they live their life if we're going to allow them to take the money to the bank after the church has had a service. Maybe, Maybe we need to think about just who it is that is counting the money of the church or paying the bills or buying stuff for the church. Because those are areas where, quite honestly, it's easy to commit fraud. And so we need people who are trustworthy, people who are faithful, people who are full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, people who have a good reputation to do those tasks. It's interesting as I've thought about this because as a pastor, most of my job description is administration during the week, I am the chief operating officer, the executive officer of the church. How we run things in the office is up to me. Kind of makes me wonder, maybe we do things wrong in America. Maybe we should hire the deacons, not the pastors. But the deacons, their purpose, and the reason why they were called in this first instance was to help take care of Matters that were weighty, matters that were important, that were of the same level as the apostles or a pastor would be, an overseer would be, and yet wouldn't distract the elders or the pastors from their primary role of ministering to the word and prayer. The thing that they really need to focus on, of making sure, you know, is the church going the right way? Are we are we teaching the right things? Is our theology correct? Are we making sure that we don't have false teaching within our, bo- our, our bounds? That's their focus. Who gets the cleaning contract? How do we repair this part of the building? How do we take care of that thing? How do we take care of that? Maybe not so much the responsibility of the elders. But you need good people who can be entrusted with those elements. And it's funny, you know, you have this word servant that that some churches, I don't know if you remember when churches used to say every member a minister. That's kind of, they were saying, well, everybody's here to serve people. And, And we've had committees and we've had ministry teams and the whole focus was getting people to serve. And there's a lot of things that don't take somebody special who's been called out, who's been ordained to do them. But the understanding through Scripture is is that there are roles and there are needs that are within the church that do not need to be taken care of by a pastor or an elder but need somebody who is of that level with more administrative, more of a focus on how do we take care of this problem, this situation that has arisen in the church to free up the elders or the pastors so that they can focus more on the ministry of the Word and prayer as they are called to do. And that's what deacons do. And, and when, they, when they suggested this, look, you know, we'll put these people in charge. Uh, verse 5 tells us that this statement found approval with the whole congregation. Hellenistic and Hebrews. They were all happy with this idea. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas. Nicholas was even a proselyte from Antioch. He's not even Jewish. He's a Greek who's become Jewish through proselytizing. But he's not flesh and blood Jewish. And and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. They they imparted an identifying with them. That this is a way of saying basically that the, the authority that everybody looked at the apostles as having, they were passing that on to these deacons, these men, so that everybody could understand that they were operating with a certain amount of authority within the church. They laid hands on them, they prayed for them. And then what we see in verse 7 is that the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And I, I find that an interesting statement that, that Luke adds in. A, a number, a great many of the priests. The way it's written, it's equated with after the creation of the deacons. We saw at the very beginning that the church was growing that the disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint arose. And the picture, the idea is that this complaint could have derailed the church. As the Hellenistic Jews were upset by their widows being overlooked, it could have created a split. Instead of the ministry of reaching the, the Jews in Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they could have become argumentative among one another. They could have been fighting within the church. And so they brought the complaint to the apostles. The apostles decided to appoint the the deacons. They created the deacons so that they could administer the food appropriately so that everybody would be happy. Nobody would be left out. And the benefit of that was that the Word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly and instead of discord instead of a fight they have peace and because they have peace they're able to continue to do their mission and spread the gospel to the point that because of these greek men being put in charge uh, greek jews hellenistic jews notice their names are not hebrew names because of that even a great many of the priests, the priests who are, I mean, we're talking the inner circle of the Jewish faith. The the last people you would expect who would become believers in Jesus Christ. The group of people who had Him executed through lies. The one people who, who for self-preservation, if nothing else, would fight against acknowledging Jesus, even a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Jesus said, or Paul said, that God has not used many of the wise in the world, but those who are foolish and weak. Who would have thought that the appointment of Hellenistic Jewish men to a position of authority within the church of serving a higher level would lead to the priests coming to faith and being obedient in faith. But that's the way God works. And so what we see in the way that verse 7 ends there, we see that if you have good deacons, if you have a good deacon ministry and they're doing what they're supposed to, that good deacons will be a blessing to a church's ministry. If they're helping keep peace within the church, if they're helping the administration of the church, you'll have peace. And they will be a blessing to the church's ministry. The opposite is just as true. There's a reason why we don't have deacons at Eagle Mountain Baptist Church. Because of several churches where the deacons were not doing a good job. Where they were running the show to the point where Brother Earl got here and and, uh, I remember Ruth sharing it with me. People would say, when are we going to get us some deacons? And he was referring to this passage when he said, as soon as we get us some Greek widows. We get some Greek widows, we'll get ourselves some deacons. He had no time for deacons because he had, had very bad experiences with bad deacons. I would say also, though, that our church has been blessed with deacons. We have been blessed with unofficial deacons. We have had those people who we entrusted with things. So when Jerry retired... or well, yeah, he went on to a different ministry. He got out of the pastoral ministry. And the church needed somebody to take care of those administrative things. The church all agreed on one person to be the executive officer in the in the interim. And so when I showed up, Tom Beeman was running things, you might say. He was helping keep the office running. And if you needed something done in this building, by the time I showed up, I know there were others prior to me But by the time I showed up, Bill Goggins was your man. If you needed something fixed, if you needed an understanding of how to get it fixed, I didn't have to wonder about how to do it or try to find somebody to do it. I could call Tom, I could call Bill, and I could just say, we need this. And that was the extent of my effort. They served as servants. Whether they had a title or not is another thing entirely. But we have, and we still do today, have those who serve us faithfully. Good deacons will be a blessing to a church's ministry if they help us take care of the issues to seek unity and blessing. We desperately need deacons today. We need servants in all of us. Are all of us, we should be saying, "How am I serving? How is God calling me and gifting me to serve?" But beyond that, we need those that we can entrust with a little bit extra. maybe with the finances of the church. Maybe with the building of the church. There are several things in this building that are, uh, to speak plainly, it's just falling apart. I was telling a, a, a man once about how I had to get a bid for this or a bid for that, and he just looked at me and he said, why are you doing any of that? that shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing any of that. I said, well, not going to get done otherwise. We need to change that. We need to have those individuals that we can say, that person is responsible for that. The church has prayed for them, empowered them to do it. Let's entrust them with it and let them get it taken care of. We desperately need, not just elders who make sure that we don't have false teaching, but deacons, servants, those who make sure that the administration of the church is running and smooth and taking care of the whole body. I want to invite you to pray with me about who would fill these roles. What would these roles look for us like for us today in Eagle Mountain? I, I think one of the things that we see here is that the need for deacons arose out of a specific need. And we should look at it that way, that deacons are fulfilling a specific role to take care of a problem that exists within the church. Let's pray for God to give us wisdom in what those needs are for us as a body. And then to show us who within us can help us fix that need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank You for Your Word and Your guidance in our lives. We thank You that You have gifted people to serve, that You have given us all gifts. No one who believes in Jesus Christ is exempt from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But You call us all and You gift us and empower us all to serve You. And we pray, Lord, that we would all be looking for the opportunities and the ways that we can serve. As we do that, Lord, we pray that You would show us the things that maybe are a bit bigger, a bit more in depth. Maybe we need special people to take care of special situations within the church. We pray, Father, that You would show us what those areas are. Give us wisdom as a body together to identify them and to identify those who have by their lives proven faithful, wise, and able to to serve the church. We pray that You would raise them up within our midst, Lord, in the months ahead. And that You would give us wisdom and guidance as a church body. We ask and pray, Lord, that we would rely upon You. Your Holy Spirit's guidance and you're leading in our lives and in our ministry, Lord. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.